Hello and welcome to the Odds Checker Betting Podcast. This is a US presidential election special preview brought to you by our sponsor, the Betfair Exchange. I am your host, George Ellick, and I'm joined by two expert guests ahead of the election next week. And, and first up, we have professional political analyst and punter, Paul Krishna Murthy. Paul, very happy to have you with us today. Thanks for having me on, George. Pleasure. Not at all. And from Star Sports, also political betting analyst, we have William Kajani. William, great to have you here as well. Great to be here. Thank you very much for having me on. Not at all. Glad to have you both here. Just before we get into the you know, the detail about the election next week, looking at all the markets, looking at all the exchange markets as well, just going to speak to you both uh, about yourselves, firstly. Don't want to make it too formal, formal, but just give the listeners and the viewers an idea of who you both are. So, Paul, we'll start with you. If you could just give the Odds Checker audience a little bit of background about yourself and how you got started in this industry. Okay, so I have been into betting on sports and basically anything I can since I was about <laughs> since I was about 13 years old. I literally went to a football match, found a football coupon, got into it, and by Monday I was a school bookie, right? <laughs> anything goes. So as soon as I was old enough, I went and worked in the bookies. I was a shop manager for seven years. And then I left it, went, uh, went to university. But by the time I came out of university, Betfair was up and running. And I realised I could kind of make a living, at least a semi-professional. So I practised for a bit and then I turned professional in 2003. And I've made a living at gambling ever since then. And for about the last 15 years, I've been an analyst for Betfair and others on golf, cricket, snooker and politics, which is my particular passion and obsession. When did politics become the, the main passion and obsession? This was going to university. You see, I was already very political and very passionate. And once I became educated in the subject, got a degree, we immediately had the 2001 general election and a Tory leadership contest. And I'd never bet on politics prior to that. And so suddenly there was it was in front of my eyes that the two great skills and passions of my life came <laughs> together <laughs> and there was some money to be made at it. William, same question to you, I guess. What what got you into gambling and, and the political side of it too? Um, so what got me into gambling, I guess, is a general love of sports. It started with horse racing. I was a very visual learner at school and I actually just happened to switch on and thought, my, that's a spectacle. That's interesting. And <laughs> then you have sort of my capture into the world of racing. In terms of what I do now, um, to make a long story short for your listeners and viewers, um, I was always better at sort of reading and writing at school, university. That turned into journalism courses, did a degree at university, did a course at college before that. Um, and I ended up writing for Star Sports, where I work currently, because it was actually much easier to write on sport and be commissioned on sport. Um, and then the politics sort of came afterwards, and um, I actually got into knowing the owner, Ben Keith, and he sort of really pushed me into the politics side of things. And um, he had a great idea um, before I end the story, which is basically that I take a whiteboard and put it up in the living room, record a video or two about the political goings on and the rest is history, as they say. 
Great stuff. As somebody who's been down to Parliament with an odd checker blackboard, I think you had much more success than I did. Um, I can guarantee you that. But uh, great to have you both on. And I, get, you know, I recommend to both the viewers and the listeners to follow both Paul and William on Twitter. Both fantastic follows, and you can get all of their insight and stuff there as well. I'm sure through next week and further. <clears throat> Before we get into the meat of the show, I just want to point you in the direction of the Betfair Exchange, where you can bet on who'll make it into the White House with odds that reflect the race in real time. With six days to go, Betfair's next president market has already broken the all-time record. This is now the biggest ever betting market with over £200 million matched based on past volume trends. It could break £400 million by the close. I mean, that... Just mentions of those figures make me pretty nervous um, sitting here. I mean, as we're recording right now at about 7.15 on Wednesday evening, it's £204,735,850 matched. Joe Biden is 1.51 to back, 1.52 to lay with about 200 grand queuing either side. Donald Trump, 2.94 to back, 2.96 to lay. And there are plenty of other markets down the left-hand side on the exchange that you can find as well so when you're listening to this i'd recommend you get the exchange up hopefully the guys have got some bets for us um alongside them and that's going to be what we're using for our prices here paul you are it's fair to say a bit of a guru when it comes to the exchange this has been a market that's been open for quite a long time as we've mentioned there's been a fair amount of money traded so far what's been kind of the story of the exchange through the election 2020 Okay, well, the overwhelming majority of that money has obviously been in 2020. So let's take it from there, really. Um, If we go back to the primaries when the Democrats were still choosing their candidate, so it was Trump or 10 others. At that stage, Trump peaked at 1.64, around about 60%. And Biden actually was a a 1% chance, 100 to 1, back in uh, March after he lost the Nevada primary. Um, but then once Biden became the candidate, things levelled up and he took the lead in July, around about June, July, hit a peak of 62%, about 1.61. And then since then, we've had two big Trump comebacks at specific moments where he's got it back to not parity, but he's closed the gap, uh, which was after the Republican convention and then after he recovered from COVID and went back on the rallies. But Biden has surged twice when there's been a lot of liquidity around the two debates. So he surged from about 1.8 to 1.59 or something after the first debate. And ever since the second one, he's been back down about 1.5. And that's where we are, 1.5 for Biden, 3.0 for Trump. Um, Well, with Star Sports, you guys, it's fair to say, take some pretty big bets as well. Um, What's been your position this year? I mean, have you you seen any big money for any of the candidates went out early? And how's your book looking at the the time of of recording? Okay, so I'll ask the last part of the question first. At the time of recording, we're loaded up on Biden. We're looking to get Trump in the book. So we've actually made him the industry best price. We're 19 to 10 and we're very keen to lay that because we really want to even things out. A Biden result is bad for us. I imagine that's the same for most bookmakers, but I definitely know it's particularly bad for us. In terms of the betting through the campaign, um, 
it's a story really of a Trump advantage in terms of the betting market that has seeded rapidly. So on the 1st of January, we were 11 to 10 Trump and 9 to 2 Biden. Obviously, the Democratic nomination hadn't finished by that point. But generally speaking, he sort of maintained that advantage until March. Um, post Super Tuesday, things become much more even. But you still have, for instance, on the 13th of March, we're even as Trump or 11 to 10 Biden. Um, go through the summer. And that begins to change. But interestingly, it's only really sort of in the last couple of months that Biden's become a clear favourite with us. You know, Trump has always been well backed. Um, mm. For example, on the 5th of July, yes, um, Biden was 47 shot, but Trump was a 64 shot. Yeah, that's a much closer race than you've got now, either with us or even with the exchanges. Um, so our story is one of a big gradual move towards Biden. I think people sort of looking a gift horse in the mouth um, in the sense that Biden's always been quite highly favoured by um, forecasters to win the election. And a lot of people have looked at that. They've looked at the exchange of the fixed odds and they're saying, well, I can bet a 70 or, or mid 70s percent chance about something that a model gives 86 percent mm. and above happening you know in a way actually i'm still surprised he's not really shorter like if you are a true believer in forecasts and i gotta say quickly i've got no reason really not to be he's a gift horse still at whatever price he is with he's before to level with us um i think he's 1.53 in exchange last year mm. that's a good horse right if you truly believe the polls and the data and we'll get on to this later but i don't believe there's any reason not to and yes i do include 2016 in that we're going to talk about um, pollsters and the polls because I think a few people listening to this would hear <laughs> the words polls and polling and think, what value does that have? So we'll get to that after the last <clears throat> couple of, or no, more than the last couple of years, last few years. But first, before we kind of talk really about about the markets in general, we're going to look at the swing states because this is clearly where you know the, the election is going to be won and lost. I've got a list here. You can tell me, you guys are the experts, if I'm missing any or if any shouldn't be on there, but I've got Arizona, Florida, Georgia, Michigan, Minnesota, North Carolina, Pennsylvania, and Wisconsin as the key swing states. In 11 of the last 12 elections, the candidate who won Florida has also won the presidency. Um, quick pop quiz for you guys. Can you name what election it was where that wasn't the case? Yeah, 1992, Bill Clinton. Correct. Um, although, to be fair, right, that yeah. wasn't really reflective of the general trend because there was a third party in that, the Reform Party, that took 20% and therefore it destroyed the Republican chance. So Clinton actually won on a very low share. Sorry, so you, lost you, on that. You, you've debunked my trivia question. That's why you're here, Paul. It's absolutely <laughs> so, perfect. <laughs> <laughs> but let, let's talk about these swing states because you know we're here to, to, to learn from, from what you guys no, I mean, how important? I mean, which things should we we be looking for? Which are going to be pivotal here, and which do you think could decide which way it goes? Well, um, the most important state for me is Pennsylvania. I know that Florida is the famous state, and it's a fifty-fifty contest. But in reality, when you look at the electoral college numbers, Trump isn't going to win without Pennsylvania, right? because there's a big correlation between Michigan, Wisconsin, and Pennsylvania. Pennsylvania is widely regarded as the hardest of the three to win. And if Biden wins those three states, he's well ahead in all of them, and he doesn't lose any of Clinton's states, which he's won, regardless of Florida or North Carolina or any of that. So I would put 
everything down at Pennsylvania. Currently, Pennsylvania, um, the Betfair exchange market, there's not a great deal of liquidity, but we've got the Democrats uh, 1.52 to back, 1.68 to lay, the Republicans 2.66 to back, 2.74 to lay. As I say, there's not much up there at the moment, but I have a feeling that might change as we get closer to Tuesday. Um, Any others you think, uh, Paul, we should be looking at the markets here? Uh, Well, one of the interesting ones from a betting perspective is Georgia where I literally just blogged about this an hour ago, where if you look at the trends, the poll trends, it's moving Biden's way. He's definitely in front now in the polls, and not just that, but there are two Senate races simultaneously going on, and the Democrats have edged ahead there, so it does look like it stands up. And yet Trump is still a favourite, so there could be a bit of value there. Could be a bit of value, 2.1 to back uh, the Democrats currently, 1.84 to back the Republicans, which goes against the forecasts. Um, William, looking at these swing states as well, where do you think the election could be won and lost? I would agree with Paul in the sense that Pennsylvania, to me, seems the ultimate tipping point, um, right? Like if Trump loses Pennsylvania, the route becomes almost unworkable. And I'm basing this partly off just sort of in general the sense of the way that the actual college is structured. Um, Paul made a good point on another podcast. I hate to sort of be that guy, but he made another point. <laughs> the Star Spangled Gamblers that the Electoral College isn't necessarily as Republican favouring as people might want to think, which is something I hadn't thought about really previously. Um, and also we have a lot of close races in places you wouldn't really expect. Like Texas is in play. That's a competitive betting rate, right? We are nine to four, for instance, that the Republicans, uh, sorry, that Joe Biden wins Texas. Unheard of, really, mm. for a fixed old sports book. So I think the bellwether probably is Pennsylvania, just in the sense that if you take this national lead, and I'm doing a bit of back of a fag packet math, so forgive me for that, but Biden leads by about 9.2 at, in terms of average when I last checked. Um, if Trump loses Pennsylvania with that, it's very difficult to see where he can turn anything around. And we have to remember that, um, and again, I'm referring back to 2016 here, the Trump tipping points were, they were narrow victories. You know, they were not these huge blowout wins. They were narrow victories. Biden is eminently more competitive in every single state that Clinton lost um, than Clinton was. So... In general, I'd think Pennsylvania be the bellwether. I think that if he, Biden, I mean, wins it, I think it's a very strong sign that he's going to take everything overall. Right. I'm going to blame it on you. When I see Pennsylvania's gone Biden, I go to sleep and I wake up and Donald Trump is still president of the United States. You have to make a meme out of me. Do you know that's what you're (laughs) So I have to be shamed. Just to say, just to say, say, no, you raise a brilliant point. William, about um, Texas. I mean, that's the market, isn't it? Isn't that the most exciting race there? And if Biden wins it, it's guaranteed to be the headline story if if Biden wins Texas, because it changes everything, you know. Texas, the Dems are 3.7, Republicans 1.36. Carry on. uh, No, absolutely uh, no problem. Um, In general, like, you look at these tipping point states and, and they change with every election, but it's really quite astonishing. Like, the, Pennsylvania now is a tipping point state, but you could quite conceivably have it be, say, 
Arizona. It's not even a million, right, that it's, say, uh, Iowa or Ohio or something like that. And mm-hmm. that, I think, and we'll get onto this later, but I, that, I think, is a really good way of showing where the ground has shifted um, from four years ago. And I think when you're looking at the race, because plenty of people will bet states um, as well as sort of the overall, mm-hmm. um, I think it's worth considering the way that the ground has shifted, both in terms of four years ago to now and two years ago to now, actually, because we did have midterms. And, and you know, I wouldn't say there are hard form guides, but it helps to inform your betting by doing things like that and just looking at the makeup, the turnout, etc. Well, we spoke a, a little bit earlier on in, in the podcast, uh, William, about where well, we touched on kind of polling and forecasters. Yeah. And, and it's fair to say that some of the faith with the layman and polling has, has been damaged, whether it was the um, election back in 2016, where Hillary Clinton was very hard, very heavy odds on favourite. And obviously we know what happened next, whether it was Brexit, where um, the UK voting to remain in the European Union was heavy odds on favourite, whether it's been the most recent general elections where the scale of victory for the Conservative Party wasn't predicted either. Well, it's fair to it's probably fair to understand why people maybe would look at polls at the moment and look at look at forecasts and, and not be quite so confident. So, so what is it that makes you happier to still retain the faith? OK, so. Point one, I'll make three points quickly and try to be brief with them. Um, point one, <laughs> polling is not meant to be sort of an exact science um, in the sense that it's not meant to predict the result to the absolute vote or the number. There are snapshots. All polls are a snapshot of political opinion at that given time. It's like a betting market, actually. Betting markets are meant to be perfect predictors of any event. Um, they are snapshots of what punters think at the said time whether they be exchanges like Betfair or books like Cars at Star. Mm. Um, secondly, people really over-exaggerate the 2016 polling miss. Trump was always a normal polling error behind Clinton. There was literally always sort of the one in three chance that he could win it. Um, I know Nate Silver goes on about this a lot, but he's right. Um, he kept on saying, and 538 kept on showing, during using their model, that... Um, Trump was always within reach of Clinton. The actual polls, as far as the national votes went, were pretty realistic. Like, they were not out by a huge amount. I think it was actually within the margin of error in terms of the final national vote. What happened was that Trump won the tipping point states. He ran the table there. Um, Now, quickly, pollsters have moved on from 2016 and they've changed things so there's more state polling and they try to make it high quality they are having more cell phone and online polls they're waiting for education as well which was generally considered to be the big miss so pollsters haven't just thought oh we got it right in 2016 they've moved on um they've updated the forecasts have now um basically accepted that and put them into their algorithms and i think in general it would be a big mistake to think that the polls of 2016, A, were wrong, and B, that something like that will happen again. Plus also, um, the general point, Biden is leading by so much more than Clinton ever was. Mm. Even if you had a repeat of 2016, um, let's say 
tomorrow was the election, tomorrow was polling day, there's a repeat of 2016, um, it just means Biden wins by six rather than nine, and there's still, <laughs> still not really much of a yeah. margin. The only way for the electoral college to become close, really, is, say, a three-point win for Biden in the national average. Essentially the same as Clinton, right? Yeah. And even then, um, things might be different, you know, different demographics, um, different campaigns. You, you've got generally a lot more people who are in that electoral coalition, not the case in 2016. Yeah, all good points. I agree with all of that. Uh, but, Paul, I was just going to say quickly, but with, the, with the betting mm. market as well, is, mm-hmm. is it fair to say that some of that um, lack of trust maybe in polling is, is is played out in the market? Because as as William says, Biden's so far ahead in the polls that if it was if the betting odds were based on that alone, then you know he'd be Trump would be any price, wouldn't he? Ten to one on, ten to one yeah. on, seven to one. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. It's a it's a, a popular myth, basically. <clears throat> a popular myth has built up in the last four years based on three particular results, all of which deserve their own explanation because firstly the polls, as William says, they weren't that far out. It's more that pundits misread them. Me as well, you know, I didn't see Trump winning in 2016 because I didn't see the third party vote collapsing and going to him in late as it did, right? That makes the world of difference. But so let's just take the last four years, right? Lots of lots of results have been very predictable with the polls. The US midterms were spot on. The UK election was spot on. All of the European elections we've had have been spot on. Um, but we've had those three upsets. One was Trump and Clinton, which mm-hmm. we can all agree was a completely unique event. It was a geographical, statistical fluke to lose the popular vote by 2.9 million, but win the Electoral College by 77,000. Um, you have Brexit where as many polls went for leave as they did for remain. And the betting was very close up until that day when there was just an enormous gamble on remain that pushed the odds out. So I don't see that as really being a misread. And the other one was the 2017 UK election where Labour outperforms Mm. expectations. Now there's actually a common thread that runs through all three of those elections. And it's the biggest single reason that polls ever get things wrong which is that one side is more motivated than the other, and they turn out differentially. So, again, 2016, Democrat turnout collapses. Key groups like black voters in key swing states don't turn out in the numbers they're expected. Trump voters, on the other hand, in rural counties, enthusiasm off the scale. Brexit and Remain, um, Brexiteers had waited their whole life to have that vote. You know, it was a huge once-in-a-lifetime situation, whereas Remainers took it for granted, I think, and didn't turn out. And then in 2017, what you have is Theresa May running a very bad campaign and enthusiasm on the Tory side falling, and Corbyn generating a massive amount of excitement amongst Labour voters. Plus, you had Remainers turning out in bigger numbers after the referendum. And it's it's, it's totally legitimate that pollsters would miss that because they're working generally on what happened in the last election. But it doesn't make the polls wrong. And in all of those cases, the polls then resampled and they've been fine ever since. So I don't see any reason to distrust it. No reason to distrust it. And that's why, I mean, we spoke briefly off off air when William was getting his camera ready. And you told me that you are pretty sweet 
on Joe Biden's chances. So let's make a case for, for Biden now. I mean, does he have to be in any way wary of what happened in 2016? Are there any Hillary mistakes that he can avoid or, or are we past that now? I think we're past that. I think that there were mistakes he could have made, like <clears throat> call, calling Trump supporters a bunch of deplorables. That wasn't a good move. Right? Yeah. yeah. She she didn't campaign in Wisconsin, which was insane. He's there regularly and he's now well ahead, 17% today. Um, I think that he's just a better candidate. I mean, if, if we take this way back, 2015, Trump first enters politics, there is, Biden is still seen as a potential rival that he might run instead of Clinton. So they're polling Biden v. Trump, Clinton v. Trump, and Bernie Sanders v. Trump. Clinton always fared worst out of all of them. She was a very weak candidate. She was under federal investigation. Um, also, she's a, you know, her image is a wealthy New York liberal. That isn't going to play very well in working class, struggling, rust belt communities. Whereas Joe Biden is from Scranton, Pennsylvania. He's a white working class guy who spent his whole life being a friend of the unions and sticking up for the workers, right? in that area. He knows how to communicate with those key voters in ways that she never could. Mm. Um, and I just think, I mean, more broadly, it isn't about Biden. Biden isn't leading because there's a massive endorsement of him. It's a rejection of Trump. Trump is like no politician has ever been. He completely consumes the conversation. Everything is about him. And so therefore, the election becomes a referendum on him. And this is a guy who has record strong disapprovals and entrenched low approval rating in the low 40s. So I don't see how that pans out into a in, in a 50-50 contest. Um, and again, if you look at all the results over the last four years, whether they're you know Senate races, House races, governors races, we've seen the same thing, like an anti-Trump backlash and a massive turnout amongst opponents. So a strong case made for Joe Biden there and against Donald Trump. I'm afraid in a second we're going to have to try and make a case for Trump before we move on. But, but Will, I'm going to come to you quickly first now and just say you know, any of us who are foolish enough to follow um, the president on Twitter will know that he's come under some pretty scathing uh, personal attacks in the last couple of weeks yeah. for, from Trump. Also, in the public eye, there have been supposed issues with his, with his health and his mental health, even... Earlier this week, he seemed to forget Donald Trump's name and called him George. Um, I mean, uh, could these be serious issues for Biden? I mean, may maybe long term in terms of completing his four years. But right now, is there going to be any doubts when voters either see the kind of smears or actually see him forgetting people's names given his age? I've, I've re I'm really sorry to be that guy. Once again, that smart ass, but I've got to rebut that point about the George thing. Um, it was faked by the Trump campaign. The really? Video, yeah, it was edited. Oh, I didn't know. Wow. Can you believe? Yeah, no, it, it, it's, I honestly thought um, he'd called him George, but it was actually about no a fundraiser. Way. He was doing a fundraiser online for Celebrity Friends um, or a That's center. amazing. So that wasn't... Um, that wasn't the case, but that said, I, I read that in a, in a paper as well. So it's, it got yeah, its own into the printed press. Lot, yeah, a lot of papers got that wrong. Um, but just going on, um, these doubts are all fair enough. The only issue is um, time, really. 
people have had a lot of time to get used to Joe Biden as a candidate. We aren't dealing with a situation where, say, it's the heat of summer or whatever. There's lots of ground to cover. And people are thinking, how is this going to get, going to get through the campaign? A lot of people, um, and I can actually reference a Pew Research poll, 59% of them um, voting against Trump have just decided to grin and bear it with the fact he's their candidate. We don't even know necessarily from that poll whether they like or dislike him. But his favourables are about even. They're about either 1% above um, zero or 1% below zero. Um, and that's better than Clinton. And it's a hell of a lot better than Trump, who's always had a constant disapproval rating of around about 10 or 12 points. Now, you raise some valid points there. There are cognitive worries over Biden. There have been. But a lot of people have just decided that those cognitive worries can be shelved in light of having had four years of Trump as a president. And this is a really big thing I just need to touch on quickly. The grounds have shifted completely here. Trump is trying to run a challenger campaign as the president. It just doesn't really work if he's got the record to defend. And because he is only a campaigner, it doesn't work at all. And it hasn't worked. And it, he might have gotten away with it if it was about the economy only. But the pandemic has shifted um, all of those grounds, really. And there is, I honestly think, about three or four issues upon which he really trails Biden that are in the top five voter concerns. Um, just briefly, they'd be healthcare, the pandemic, obviously. Um, law and order, actually, surprisingly, he doesn't have that, that great polling record on it. And also the Supreme Court marginal trail um, on that, although it's reasonably close and the other thing actually be foreign policy um if i remember correctly so long story short there are worries about Biden as a candidate but his campaign have banished that he stayed home during the peak of the first wave in the us um he did a lot of time for everything debates and he isn't really going out all that much now he's doing these events yeah sure but they're small and they're limited and he isn't having these stream of consciousness things like trump you won't see Biden talking about um, people standing for the Canadian National Anthem or hydrostatic missile or stealth plane or windmills windmills, <laughs> right or, or like um, how we apparently need to bomb sharks or whatever because they're not friendly enough to serve us in the ocean he, he won't be allowed to do that <laughs> if he wanted to so he's on a tight rein and I think we're at the point where he's close enough to the line it's not going to be a big problem i don't think i mean i for one am shocked that tweeting law and order in capital letters over and over again doesn't mean that you actually poll well for law and order i, I thought that would be a a bulletproof policy and i cannot also believe that the first time that i'm ever doing anything political any political content i have managed to fall for some trump team fake news that is incredibly embarrassing to, to be fair to be fair i i literally did a lot of people did and the yeah. issue is it's actually quite a smart play with the trump team because um many people won't look back or check back and the rebuttals are inevitably just seen less than the initial claims so that is a deliberate campaign tactic and it works it worked in 2016 we, we oh. i'm sure paul you saw lots of that in 2016 in terms of disinformation it i think it's a decisive thing i think it was the decisive thing 
I think yeah. when you look at the turnout in Milwaukee, in Detroit, in Philadelphia, in Broward County, in Florida, big black areas, also amongst people defined by Cambridge Analytica as idealistic white liberals who were targeted with the Russian fake news campaign, their turnout falls off a cliff. It, you know, it worked. And he's lost by 77,000. There, there was definitely enough um, reluctant left-wing voters out there of one description or another to account for that 77,000. Uh, I just don't think people will fall for it again. Um, it's very worrying that they're doing that and that this is becoming the norm. And, mm. you know, but I don't think he'll pull it off again. Um, I'll tell you, I mean, really good points there, William. I mean, we talk about COVID. That's a really good, and the campaign, his, his failure to campaign. You know, how clueless is that? Virtually every other government in the world, when the pandemic hit, took a sober, serious, unifying approach, you know, and it worked. It's really hard to be the opposition in that in that situation, to say yeah. something relevant. And yet he stands up there every day and picks a fight with people wearing masks. Mm-hmm. And, you know, and Biden just wins by default that, oh, well, guy who's taking the pandemic seriously, guy who isn't pan- taking the pandemic seriously. Mm. And, and the amazing thing about it is, if he decided to sort of target his messaging with this, he would have come out on top, I think. Mm. There is definitely a case where, or there's definitely an alternative reality where Trump says wear a mask but we're not going to live in fear here there's definitely right Mm. a we are strong americans message but where we're going to go out and live our lives and beat the virus in a sort of fdr world war ii style but he never found it because i I think in part the stress of the presidency got to him i think also in part he was angry at the fact that he had what was roughly i don't know how hypothetically we would price it but like he'd probably be, say, 11 to 8 max without the pandemic, I'd have thought, mm. um, for different reasons. And he, he feels he lost that chance. And he's he's gotten really bad in trying to get it back. You see it in the first debate when he had a clever, actually, I thought, campaign strategy of just trying to rattle Biden and get him to lose his fault. But he got so angry he blew up on himself. And that's, I think, one of the stories of the election, in the sense that Trump got too angry chasing after um, a Biden meltdown when actually if say in March or something he says Dr Fauci's leading this we're locking down I need you to stand with me patriots etc etc and you'll be back on the beaches by August or whatever if he does that and goes in and out say the cycle we've had over here quite easy to see him still being reasonably competitive in it I, I think he's sort of in a way actually sadly for him he underestimated the devotion of his base. I think his base would have gone along with a lot of that. You know, if he was out there wearing a mask mm. and doing whatever, if he was setting social distance properly. But, but I mean, he, he did he did dance at the rallies, though, so there was that, in, in fairness to him. Yeah, yeah, he was now doing the YMCA. Um, oh, I, yeah. I think still probably fueled by Regeneron. Um, yeah. It's a great Let, drug, that. It's a great drug. <laughs> let's let's quickly, because I have a feeling this could be quite a short part here. I mean, as we mentioned, unless it's moved since we've been chatting, um, yeah, Trump, two, not 2.94 to back, 2.96 to lay. Looking at that blue square on the Betfair exchange, the to back, can either of you, and I'll go to Paul first, can you make a case to back okay. Trump at 2.94? Okay. I, I, at the odds, no, because I think I would price it 
1.25 and that would only be I'd make it 1.25 Biden 5 Trump and only because of the potential to trade I think the real odds are like 1 to 10 but if we're looking for a known unknown we get back to this whole fake news business um, Trump has built a an army for want of a better word absolute devotees they will share everything he says on facebook every video every fake story they'll share it everywhere and measuring the effect of social media facebook particularly and micro targeting is really difficult especially because you know the commentary at the pundit class don't take it seriously because they're not the ones consuming it but if there is a a game changer out there is that we're underestimating this because mathematically, I think to win this election, Trump needs to gain about 7 million voters on 2016, at least because of the turnout. Um, there are lots of non-voting, non-college educated white men, well, non-white people, men in particular, in the key states. So that's the that's the potential known unknown that there is a a bigger number of trump supporters out there that don't appear in polls that haven't voted in previous elections okay that's that's the big unknown that, that mm. could help him i mean william do you have anything to add to that in terms of trying to make a case for trump um sure i'll, I'll give it a go i think to be fair actually there is a realistic case you can make for him um firstly in terms of his guaranteed turnout, we know when we're backing Trump or when we're looking at Trump hypothetically, we absolutely know there are dyes in devotee to vote for him. I think it's fair enough to say um, that he'll get at least, at the very least, probably 40%, but you could easily raise that. Um, you know, our line at start, I think it's roughly around 45%. Um, and that's just in terms of the baked in votes. Um, secondly, also, we have to remember there is still the potential, I'm not saying it's huge here, but there is still the potential for, let's say, a shy Trump vote, in, sense, in the sense that people who will be proud on Facebook and whatever, they'll be proud in terms of their own families, etc., but they might hide it from pollsters. Um, this is, again, I'm not being scientific here, but it's entirely possible there are plenty of quiet Trumpers. Um, and also, here's another thing, and this is probably the most persuasive case I can make for Trump, twofold. Number one, the incumbency of the presidency, um, which over recent history has been a particular boost for the incumbent. I think only H.W. Bush really lost on that, and that was to a two-time winner in Clinton. And secondly, um, the fact that in the battleground states, this is not completely over. Trump is down in the battleground states, that we know, um, but not by an impossible margin. Not by, he's not out by the margin of error in most of the states that you'd want him to win. Now, I trust those polling leads, but I think a lot of people trick themselves into believing um, the margin of error is max free point, when actually, in a set of simulations that you run, there are plenty in sort of the 10th percentile where Trump can be down in seven points by, say, Minnesota and still win it. 
So again, he's not completely out. There is still, I would estimate comfortably a 10% chance. And hmm. I'm, I'm, I'm twisting it a bit here, but um, a 10% chance. Yeah, he's a nine, let's say he's a nine to one shot truly. How many times have you seen nine to one shots win? Mm. You know, um, I just think we not often enough. <laughs> not often, not often enough. But um, if we're running this sort of like a horse race, um, even in the best simulations, one out of every ten times he will win. So there's still a route back to him for this. It's just that that route is probably the most difficult one to tread in modern history. And I don't think that's a big thing to say. I just think that's the truth. Before we ask you for your kind of best bets ahead of uh, the election next week on the 3rd, from somebody who, who follows this, I mean, not nowhere near as closely as you guys, but with an interest, the series of events after Joe Biden wins the election and Donald Trump has to you know, vacate the presidency is pretty curious, to put it mildly. I mean, how do we see Trump reacting if he is voted out? I think he'll try every trick in the book. Um, I think he will try and stop states from counting. He will claim the votes are illegal. He'll talk up court challenges. And the situation could result in massive civil unrest or even civil war. Um, I'm personally sceptical he can pull that off because I think Biden will win big and it will be overwhelming. Plus also, is Trump really so powerful? Because... He's, um, you know, he's got a very pliant attorney general in Bill Barr, and yet he couldn't manage to get Bill Barr to trump up some charges on Clinton and Obama and Biden, like he promised. And he couldn't get his mates off the charges from the Mueller investigation. He might have been able to dish out a pardon to Roger Stone, but he hasn't been able to get them off the conviction. So I'm sceptical that he can. And I think what the, the really interesting development that's going to happen is Trump is going to be indicted by the state of New York for one of many investigations, but certainly it seems regarding his finances and Deutsche Bank, big story out yesterday, which mm. has been in the in the background for two years and they've been fighting it in the courts. And I wouldn't be at all surprised to see that happen like two or three days after the election. So I actually think Trump might start trying to um, cause havoc but within two or three days, he'll be looking to get immunity from prosecution. That'll be more of his focus. Wow, that is going to be interesting. Amazing thing that could happen. You're talking about this, and it could happen this time next week. Um, so keep an eye on that. It's betting time. That's why we're all here. We're trying to find some value. Um, Will, I'll come to you first. You get first run on the tipping here. Lovely. What do you fancy? Where should the punters be getting their value? Okay, so shameless plug here, um, but I'm gonna do <laughs> number one, of course. Um, we've got an electoral handicap, electoral college handicap at Star. Um, we can, we have Biden's the favourite, giving 100.5 electoral college votes to Trump, and 81.5 electoral college votes to Trump. I think the 81.5 is a pretty solid bet. I think the 100.5 will probably come in too. My reason for thinking that is. Namely, firstly, Biden's battleground polling lead, when you run it through the averages, is a very strong one. And 
I would expect him to turn over at least, I'd say, two or three of the states that Clinton lost, but we can probably be a bit more optimistic at this late stage. Um, then you have the chance that he's in with taking states like Texas or whatever, um, you know, first year at all votes, etc. Um, his national lead at the moment is 9.2. That's an average of really high-quality polls. I think in that situation... Um, he's just well within reach. And most projections have about 352 electoral college votes. Um, most projections have Trump at a mid-range of about 194. Um, now, the forecast can be off, but it'd have to be off for a fair way, you know, for Trump to be getting to sort of 235 or whatever. And I just think it's a very competitive runner, um, him giving up 100 or him giving up 81.5 or whatever. And it's not like it's an uncommon occurrence. I mean, even when Trump had his sort of narrow scrape and he lost the electoral vote, he gave, I think it was nearly 70 votes to Clinton in electoral college. Barack Obama did it easily twice. He could have given 150, I think, on one or two occasions to McCain and Romney. So if Biden is able to win, I wouldn't say he'd win by nine next week. I think probably maybe seven with the race narrowing, whatever that's still well within the range of the fault for the Electoral College handicap. So that'd be my one way to back Biden and back him strongly. That's one way to get with Biden on the handicap market there from William. Paul, what are you going to give us over the exchanges? First of all, can we just put in big capital letters there next to that handicap? Nap, because that was my cho- <laughs> that was my choice too. That was exactly my choice. That's great. It's all right. It's all good. When yeah, you knock your heads together, fine. when you knock your heads together, you come up with the same thing. That is absolutely yeah. fine with me. There's Double so nap. many routes. Yeah, there's so many ways you can get to 100.5 because I'm banking those Midwest states, and I'm putting him on about two. That's 320 electoral college votes that handicap. Right, I've got him on 278 before any state that I'm even slightly worried about comes into it. I think he'll take Arizona and Nebraska Nebraska Congressional District 2, so that'll take you 290. And then what you're really betting on here is Florida, because Florida's going to get it done. But if, you, if Florida doesn't get it done, you can get it done with um, North Carolina and Georgia. So you've got multiple routes to an even money chance that probably, and probably the even money in Florida would be a big bet. But so anyway, we've done that. We agree on that. So I'm going to have another bet on a different market, which is kind of related, which is Biden Electoral College votes. Yes. And, and I'm going to put this up as a as a in play strategy. Right. So I'm, I'm backing the 330 to 359 band at five to one around those odds. Um, and then I'm backing 390 to 419 at about seven to one. Now, the point is that those two bands cover a lot of outcomes, right? So the second one will only come into play if Texas wins, but the first one covers various ranges involving all those states I just mentioned. And I think that once the results start to come in within an hour, one of those two bands is going to be a really short price, and if necessary, you'll be able to have a nice, easy cover on the middle one. 360 to 389. Nice. So that is the Biden Electoral College votes. 33359 is currently 5.8 to back, 6.0 to lay. So just a little bit shorter than fives. 
360 to 389, 8.2 to back and 8.6 to late. Sorry, sorry, not the three, sorry, not the 361. Ooh, sorry. The three, sorry, the 390 to 419. So skipping so 360. Skipping that one, leaving the middle open to save if necessary. So 390 to 419, 8.8, so bigger than the sevens that Paul mentioned there, nearly just kind of after commission, probably around about uh, yeah, 15 to 2 and 9.0 to lay um, other prices there. So a couple of bets. So I think nobody listening or watching would be too surprised that they are pro-Biden bets. Um, before, we're just going to mention 2024. Any Anything else to add, you guys, with the bets for, for next week? I'm just going to throw up one bet, a little bit of value, I think, um, which is on the popular vote, Biden's popular vote. And you can get seven to four with uh, Betfair and Penny Power that Biden wins by 10% or more. Now, my personal opinion is a win by 9%, but I'd rather be over than under because of all of this massive turnout that we're seeing in early voting. Um, plus, I mean, we're seeing a lot of polls that are in the mid-teens from good, good firms. So I think there's more chance of that than there is of, say, Trump getting within five. I'd rather be on the overs. On the overs there, seven or four with Betfair Sportsbook and Paddy Power. On to 2024. I'm sure you guys have both had a cursory glance ahead, mm. um, given your professions. I mean, first of all, there's got to be a concern. We mentioned his age and his health issues, whether or not Joe Biden can realistically have massive designs beyond this election. Is that the case? I don't think that um, he would be running, put it that way. I don't think that he would be running if Trump wasn't the opponent. I think he would have retired, but I think he saw, he saw an opportunity, you know. Uh, so I think Kamala Harris will almost, I think she will probably be the candidate in 2024. And I definitely back her now at six to one. I think that's a good bet. Well, anything to add? Yeah, um, some really strong takes. Um, number one, I, in my head, would have made Biden the outsider against any other Republican rather than Trump. Mm. Um, I, I think even in the coronavirus situation that we have here, I think he's the outsider against, say, Pence, um, definitely against even, say, a Tom Cotton or um, a Ted Cruz or whatever. Um, I'm not sure if the head-to-head polling quite matches up on that. He was polling fairly well in these hypothetical situations. Um, around the turn of the year when people considered it. But I definitely think um, Trump is pretty much the only opponent for Biden. I agree with Paul on 2024 with Kamala Harris, think 620 is fair. I think the real value is getting a decent price on a candidate who isn't Donald Trump for 2024. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, even 7-1 about Mike Pence wouldn't, I don't think it'd be the worst bet, you know, um, but that said, if you go with the star sports market that we've got, um, it's 33 to 1, any candidate bar Trump and Pence. You could have a couple of shots quite easily at that price. You know, I think given where the Republican Party is at, and you have to remember, Trump has 94% approval rating as an African Republican Party. His family brand is a big name there. Aww. You know, 33 to 1 Trump Jr. is not the worst bet. He's done rallies before, we have to remember. You know, he is a big political presence out there. Um, he, if anything, is sort of leading that fight to the outliers. If the outliers have taken over the party, and let's be honest, they probably have at the moment, 
um, the Trump family become big prices. You know, Ivanka Trump um, is 40 to well with us for 2024. Um, you have Trump Jr. at 33 to 1. If you wanted to go to more establishment Republican, Tom Cotton and Nikki Haley, 33 to 1. You could easily have a couple of bets at fairly you know, small stakes that give you a very decent position um, for either eventuality, namely Trump um, losing and the Republican Party going back towards that establishment, or even, say, a close contested election where the Trump brand still holds up better than we think it would, and the Republican Party wanting the family to go on. Because the, the Trump family, outside of Donald, they have decent enough appro- approval rates in the Republican Party. You know, they are quite well liked. Mm. People like Don Jr. in Republican circles. Um, they like Ivanka. Um, you know, they get the backing, they get the money. I, I just think it's worth looking at these situations for 2024 um, and onwards. And, you know, let's say Trump did do it and he did win. Um, you, I, I think you'd struggle to stop him trying to run for a third term. But we know he's definitely picking a family member, if not. Right? So... Just something to think about there. Sounds think... like a terrible, ep- uh, a terrifying episode of Succession. I'm sorry, sorry, <laughs> all of you. I think you've nailed that market, William. Um, that Republican market—that's the way to play it. Back the prices. Um, I think that Nikki Haley and Tom Cotton are the two front runners from either wing, from the sort of main establishment yeah. versus the populists. I'd throw in though, um, Tucker Carlson. I think ah. Tucker Carlson, if he wants to run, I think would win it. I think they would love him. Uh, and Trump's proven that conventional politicians aren't the way forward with Republicans anymore. So I'd keep an eye on him. Um, on the Democrat side, of course, I mean, there will be gambles on other people, won't there? Uh, AOC. AOC will be popular. Bit. She'll be popular. Cover of Vanity Casey Fair Poulter. today. Yeah, is she really right? Story, well, yeah. to my mind, I guess I talked about this the other day. I, I I wouldn't back her for twenty twenty four. I think she's a formidable prospect, but her next move will be New York senator or New York yeah. mayor, and then maybe twenty thirty two. I mean, she's very young. She's got a big future mm-hmm. ahead of her. Just wait until she's become that absolutely mainstream candidate. Mm. So, just quickly, mm-hmm. and jump in. We are thirty-three Tucker Carlson and forties AOC for twenty twenty-four. I think an interesting thing would be just a quick question for out to you. Sorry to take the hosting away from no, you. No, not at all. What, what what price would you make AOC for twenty twenty-eight? Because I was thinking about this a day or two ago, in the sense that. Trump has broken a lot of boundaries, right, for sort of um, presidential candidates, right? Like, he, he, seriously, uh, it's worth saying, if he could become president, literally anybody can. It will not be like <laughs> if anybody wins again. Um, if she pushes on the Green New Deal and manages to get some wins in, say, a, a Democratic Senate, what price do you make AOC would have been a senatorship under her belt to be 2028? Like, oh. Because... Not excessive, not big, not big. I'd, um, I'd say maybe 16 to 1. The, the one thing that would put me off it, I absolutely agree that she's, she's going to be a player. 
Um, mm. It's just that my to run through the sequence of events, I think that the fallout from Trumpism will be a catastrophe for the Republican Party, and I think wow. they'll do. I think they'll do very, very well to pick up and stop Kamala Harris winning in twenty twenty four. Yeah, and so. To run in 2028, it would need Kamala not to be running for a second term, probably. I think that they'll all be positioning for to be the post-Kamala Harris candidate. What, what price then, Paul, that, that she is president in her lifetime? AOC, oh, in her lifetime, I wouldn't lay bigger than about four to one. So I, 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 I would probably have gone... I would probably go on 11 to 4 within the next 25 years. But particularly as also, um, slightly a bit po- apocalyptic here, the climate <laughs> situation in the US is going to go drastically south. It's going to go drastically south everywhere. People who sounded the alarm on that will have big political capital. I cannot think of anybody who sounded the alarm of that um, better than Ocasio-Cortez. You know, the Green New Deal is basically sort of sponsored by her and Omar um, and Rashida Tlaib. And out of those three, she's got by far the best operation. I'm just saying in the US, where she's sort of a degree or two hotter, um, where everybody is suddenly really struggling for energy and gas and whatever, um, do people come around and say, like, she was right? It was part of the Trump thing in 2016. I, I, I know that he didn't have a coherent position on the Iraq war, right? But people thought that he did. Mm-hmm. Um, they thought that he was like, don't go there. That that played a big part. Made, that, that made that made Obama as well. The reason why Obama won yeah. the Democrat primary was he was against the Iraq war. Yeah. Um, so, so who is to say that climate change isn't the new Iraq? It's already moving up as an issue. It will only get bigger and bigger. Um, so, so I definitely think um, there's that space. I, I would also say just quickly, we're well, on 2024. Um, Kamala Harris, I think, yeah, better six to one. Consider um, possibly a small play at an estab- more established name at a bigger price to cover yourself, and a more sort of radical name at a big price to cover yourself. I- I'd say probably candidates who ran in twenty twenty wouldn't be the worst idea just because they'd already have the funding and operation ready to go. You know, there are lots of people who were ready to vote for Elizabeth Warren. Lots of them were. She she was doing well in head-to-head polls. Um, Buttigieg may be too young, seen as too smarmy. Klobuchar was moving like well. She was moving well. Mm-hmm. I'm not I'm not saying these people are certainties, but um, if they decide to run again, you know they'd have the operation. You know they have the legs. You know people would already be willing to sort of go that extra mile for them. You can get 50s, Klobuchar. You can get like 40s. Um, uh, actually, fifty to one Warren. It's worth it, you know. I just think thinking in that way, but that's hypothetical. Plenty. Well, well and actually, sorry. I mean, they will. Yeah, uh, Klobuchar and Pete Buttigieg. I'm confident will get very prominent roles in the Biden administration. So their oh, their course. stocks go into rice. Um, one thing I'd say about Warren is she's quite old, and I think that that is that her movement is going to be passed down to. Oh, yeah. Again, that's who they're vying for, and it's AOC, yeah. or maybe or maybe Katie Porter, who was a prodigy of Warren's. Um, but yeah, I would you you want to keep one from that radical wing, more radical progressive wing. 
I feel like we, well, at least you guys could do a whole podcast on 2024 <laughs> now. So we can we have to might. call. We, we might. <laughs> we have to bring this one to a close. But thank you very much, guys, for for joining me today. That is um, professional punter and political analyst uh, Paul Krishnamurti from Betfair Exchange, and the political betting analyst from Star Sports, Will Kajani. Um, thanks very much for joining us both. Um, I recommend that you follow them both on Twitter. Check out Star Sports. Check out. Of course, the Betfair Exchange, who are the sponsors for this podcast. So thanks to them as well. And thanks, you guys, very much for listening and for watching. Fingers crossed we have highlighted some value, the ways and ways to enjoy as it all unfolds next week on the 3rd of November. Mm-hmm.